Welcome to Record Crimes. In each episode, we'll be getting into anything from copyright legal battles, crimes committed by people in the music industry, and and everything everything in between. People in the music industry? Doing illegal things? Really? Welcome back. Welcome, welcome. You've made it to episode six. I know. Welcome. I'm so happy for you guys. I am so happy (laughs) today. I am riled up about what I have brought in. But more importantly, this week has been like a lot of stuff has gone down this week as far as like crime and Hollywood and music (gasps) has gone down. (gasps) And I like wrote, so like two of them specifically, Harvey Weinstein and R. R. Kelly Kelly have both been incarcerated. Same day, right? Or, like, within at least 48 hours of each other. That. I know. It's amazing. I I think both of them got 16 to 20 years in prison, if not more. A little too short, in my opinion. Yes. Um, Also, this has been a long time coming. You think about all the movies that have come out about Harvey Weinstein. And R. Kelly. And R. Kelly. But, like, all these shows and stuff, I feel like they've been coming out since, like, I don't know. It's been, like, 10 years already. Maybe not. That's a little bit Well, both of them have been a long time coming, and it's, I think, a lot of people had to push back very publicly yeah. for even things to get the ball rolling, like, started. Like, right. legally, I guess I should say. Yeah, true. Because people have been talking about it since, like, we were kids. I know. Both it's of, been such a long time. Them. Well, and I also thought, like, in the back of my brain, like, oh, when these movies are out about these people, it means that they have, like, already been incarcerated. Yeah, that's true. Or, like, tried, even, mm-hmm. or else, yeah, is that, like, yeah. slander? I don't know. It's all facts. I like it, though. I like I like. I like. (laughs) (laughs) But also, what I thought was kind of interesting is um, I was up in NorCal this past weekend. Yeah. And this story would not have been relevant if I wasn't up in NorCal, you know, same time, same place with this issue. But I was sent an article by my boyfriend who I was with this weekend. Mm -hmm. Are you cheating on me? (laughs) (laughs) Now it's public. (laughs) Now it's public. (laughs) But he sent me an article because when we were in um, Santa Cruz, we're Mm -hmm. walking on like the pier, you know? Yeah. And there's not a lot of people out, surprisingly, but we run into this. We don't run into him. We come across this guy dressed as Cookie Monster, like in a full Cookie Monster suit. Very, very large suit. Okay. And we're walking just like down the pier and he's standing right in the middle of the pier. And we're walking by him and it wouldn't have been creepy if he hadn't like stood in the middle of the walkway. So we had to kind of like walk around him. And then as we were walking by, he followed us. No. With his eyes. No. With his cookie monster eyes? With his giant ass cookie monster eyes. It's just. And I noticed, I said it was creepy. We kept on walking, but then we saw that there was a family of like six kids that were like cookie monster cookie. They were so excited. And then all of a sudden you see the dad get a look at Cookie Monster and immediately like gets on the side he was of the like, kids no. like a herding dog. He was like, that'd be me, truly. And like, like walked next to the side of Cookie Monster with like the kids going by and did not let any of the kids. I like turned around and watched this just to, like make sure the kids would be okay. This yeah. guy was really creepy. I it mean, was, like that's not a place 
Well, I feel like I expect to see people like dressed up in those costumes in like Times Square because that's like very on brand. Santa Cruz on the pier? Yeah. What so are you here's doing the there? thing. That's are you ready so- for this? I'm scared. <laughs> My boyfriend sends me an article. No. And it is an article by the SF Gate. So it's a San Francisco like newspaper. Okay. Like the title of this article was like, police warn people to avoid evil Elmo or like evil Elmo has returned. No, not evil guy. And his name, like no relation to the actor at all. Like his name is like Adam Sandler or like Danny Sandler. (laughs) Yes. He is notorious. He used to be in times square. He comes to LA sometimes, but he was a street performer for many years. I'll say street performer in like quotes because he doesn't perform. But no, like, those people in Times he, Square are not street performers, except maybe Naked Cowboy. Yeah, he no, he's no Naked he Cowboy. He puts on a show. No, so this guy used to perform on the Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco, which is where okay. I've been. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So I've probably seen him, just haven't registered. But what he is notorious for is he is just like he makes people uncomfortable and he like harasses he's very like aggressive not like violently but like verbally and it's like quoted in this article that like he would stand outside of a business and like the director of fisherman's wharf like the community director was just like you know if evil elmo was outside your business like that business had a horrible day (gasps) no customers would show like nothing because he would stand and like shout obscene things at women and children just like terrible and evil elmo he's quoted yelling at like a food vendor (gasps) he like i don't know got into a bit of an argument but then all of a sudden you just hear evil elmo yell don't mess with me i'm gonna rip your throat out like crazy things like that so he has been on the radar and then this article specifically was like police and santa cruz have advised everyone that if they see a man dressed up as cookie monster to avoid because he's the same guy as evil elmo and he's just changed location <gasps> so this was the guy that we saw when i was walking you guys on felt the, the vibes and he looked the way he like watched me <sighs> I, oh my god he's done some shit in his life adam sandler not not america not, the, not america's adam sandler not america's this is not america's adam sandler but no this man yeah so i just thought i had to laugh but then i was like what the actual hell no dude i that's actually he my worst returned. fear because ever <laughs> my entire life to this day I am like so scared of not scared. That's not even I was as a kid. Scared isn't the right just word like now. Weary, it's cautious. just like no, I'm just like what are you doing dressed up in a costume in public trying to like talk to strangers? I just think that's I understand so like when behavior. people like dress up like for themselves or like an event or yeah, like you but know just to like go like, out every day. But to go out like every day and like, like attempt to make money, people. get like pictures from people and like especially like the ones that are directed towards little kids right because they're not I'm talking like, to what them. are you doing i'm like they're, what's they're not the... having conversations so they, they can't even be like it's so wholesome because like it's not you're meeting people it's like no like you're kind of there to make kids happy but it's like a little weird i know i feel like that's like a pretty general statement to make maybe there's some nice ones that just really enjoy it you know like the santa claus is like them all but like i you just like really never know with people mm-hmm. and also i don't know even like the santa claus is like as a kid i think i have one picture of me like on Santa Cla- no on Santa Claus's lap because I wouldn't even make it like in the line most of the no. time and I think one time I think it was probably like 
eight, maybe like six to eight around that time. One of my cousins was living with my family and she was like, took us to the mall, me and my sister and the little Santa Claus thing was in town, you know? And she was like, guys, like I think it'd be really fun if you got a picture. You don't have any pictures with Santa Claus or like I didn't at least. And like, let's finally get a picture with Santa. You know, the line was really short. I didn't have a lot of time to back out. And I was like, okay, I'm a big girl. I can do it. And it was like a cute picture, but I think think (laughs) afterwards I was like, I will never do that again and I didn't it's weird and I never did it before mall Santas smell weird they do have a certain smell because it's the costume of like like Santa's past they're like that can't be breathing like you can't that's not breathable material like I feel kind of bad like you got I hope they clean it every year I know that's a lot to think about I'm sorry I'm really like don't I I don't know I've no, that would be, that would stink. That would be terrible. You know, you're probably right. Dude. They probably do clean it. I'm just they so scared it. of you're the whole crazy. thing. No, I'm afraid, especially like if I'm ever in Times Square. I think the last time I was in New York City was like, it was somewhere in college, like early okay, college years. Fair. And I like had made my way to Times Square just to like kind of bop around, you know, do the mm-hmm. touristy things because I like doing that. Yeah. You know, they just like come right up to you, like the people in the costumes. And, I like, don't appreciate the Transformer people that are like three times the yeah, size of us. Like, get that's away that's from a bit me. much. I don't need to be approached like, by I, that let me come large to you. of a being. Let me come to you. If I want a picture with fucking Woody from Toy Story, I will come up to you and ask for a picture. I don't need you coming up mm-hmm. all in my fucking face. Yeah. And, like, I'm like, what is your motive here? I'm scared of you. Yeah. What if you have a knife? If Woody, I have a knife. Woody might just rip your throat out. Like if what if I <gasps> what if I am killed by evil Elmo? Absolutely. See that not. that's what Absolutely I'm saying. It just not. like confirms my fears though. Like you just made that so real for me because everyone's like, Alyssa, you're bugging. No. Like you are like being so dramatic, they're nice people. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure some of them are, but like I don't care. Not I evil, am weird. Evil Elmo evil ruins it Elmo. for everyone. Evil Elmo ruined it for everyone. Yeah. I loved how I just like saw that article on my phone and immediately knew what he was talking Scared. about. I was like, this is about no, Cookie Monster. I saw them. St- I know. So that oh was God. kind of a little, I had a little run in with um, Evil Cookie criminal. Monster. Yeah, yeah you did. <laughs> I, criminal was, Cookie Monster. I was living on the edge this week. Criminal Cookie Monster, Evil Elmo. Holy, and it's uh, the same person. It's just different persona. Maybe he'll come back as like the count. And start screaming numbers at people all crazy. Screaming his phone number at no. everyone crazy. Harassing you for your phone number. <laughs> He's like, I love numbers. Why don't you give me yours? Ooh, that's a good Ooh. pickup line. Okay, all the nice count. What is it? Count Dracula. It's not just count, the count Dracula. The count. Yeah. All the nice ones. You guys should use that pickup line. I just gave you that for free. You're welcome. And you don't have to pay for this podcast. You that's don't incredible. have to pay. Give the people what they want. Give the people what they want. Um, um, how are you other, other than evil Elmo? I'm good. I have been really on top of my new year's resolution this yeah, year. Yeah. Yeah. You have. Which I, you know, my sister, she is like the biggest bookworm that I have ever met. Even like as a, you know, I used to read as a child. I was one of those kids that used to bring like a stack of books. I did too. Into the toilet. I and fell just off. Like... <laughs> I fell off real hard. I used to read every night. Okay. Yeah. Fair. So I haven't like read an actual book book for fun since middle school. 
Because you get into high school, you start reading books for class. Yeah, and then you don't want to read books for And then you hyperanalyze them and do all this stuff for your class, and that's cool, whatever. I came across some good books in high school that I liked. Yeah. But it was like a forced thing. It wasn't like a joy. And yeah. then in college, we're out reading music and music books and things about music. I wasn't like reading anything outside of music. Yeah. So it's been a while since I picked up a book because I wanted to. And even during COVID, I was so just overwhelmed. I didn't want to read. I wanted to shut my brain off, so I didn't. So this year... I was like, you know, I'm going to read more because my sister, when I was talking to her, she read over 200 books last year or some crazy Dang, shit like girl. that. I know. And I was like, how? Literally how? And I, That's you know, I badass. remember her getting stacks and stacks of books and all that stuff. Yeah. Going to the library a whole bunch, like picking up six, bringing back six. She Maybe did that I so get much. a library card. I think that would do me well. Probably. But I, so I wanted to read more this year yeah. and I have been, I read, I'm on my sixth book right Ooh, now. Wow. And two of the books that I read were over 500 pages. You're slaying. So. So theoretically, I might have read more than six books. Okay. But six books. I'm on my sixth. What Um, was the most recent one that you just read or that you're reading? I'm reading Silence of the Lambs right now. Classic. Because. On brand. Clarice. Clarice for me. Show the moth tattoo for the video. Yeah. Yeah, we're taking a video. Yeah, we're videoing this for content. For content, you know. So y'all will be seeing this later. Yeah. But um, I read that book back in high school. But I've never read the book. Well, I've seen the movie a whole bunch. Yeah, The movie's great. Yeah. For those that don't know, it's a big deal because it was the first thriller horror movie that ever won an oscar oh i didn't know that yes so like cinematically like storyline all of it considered yeah great movie oh but it is i mean it's it's like a classic fucking creepy it's scary but a lot of those people just like don't think that like horror movie can be you know cinematic but get out no look at all these like crazy no i think like especially in the past few years Mm -hmm. like horror movies have really been they've stepped up their game quite a bit i also enjoy a nice cheesy horror film yeah you can't can't because well i also just like that cheesy tv as well like i don't Mm -hmm. mind like cheesy acting or cheesy storylines Cheesy or corny, I guess, is, is like the word, the better. Though, it's too. like, I like the corniness, but I mm-hmm. also like one that I'm like, it like messes me up for days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, you know, honestly, the complexity and like the creative mind that you have to have to put yourself in that and to create something like that is kind of scary, but also impressive. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm reading the book because I read it back in high school uh-huh. and I only read it once and I don't think I was at the age to appreciate it enough. Having like yeah. seen the films and like grown up and become closer to like true crime and you know listening to podcasts reading other books reading other articles like doing all this research like yeah now that i'm reading it i also like remembered that a lot of parts from the book were left out in the movie oh like what and just like certain scenes like they they go more in depth which like brings about more of like the true crime like nerdy aspects of the story oh, fun yeah and like the research, the one-on-one like interviews, like all these like small like monologues that like the main character Clarice has that she doesn't necessarily have. Right. Because the movie focuses on like her relationship with Hannibal Lecter. Right. And for those that haven't seen it, overview. Watch it. No, you, I feel like. Well, like. If you're I, listening like, to this brief, podcast, you have to have seen that. I'm you sorry. have to. But like brief, it's this up and coming FBI agent who uses the help of a cannibal who's been locked up in a psychiatric ward to help her and the FBI catch a serial killer, Buffalo Bill, who's on the loose. Yeah. That's like the main storyline. I was actually just listening to my favorite murder classic Mm -hmm. and 
they always talk about how much they love that movie. Like Ugh, they both, I love that movie. they both love that movie so much. But I have it I, on my body, so I better love yeah, it. Yeah, you better love it. I was like, I've been re-listening to like older episodes though, mm-hmm. like some of the first like hundred episodes. Okay, yeah, yeah. Where like it was like their first year or so. I was just listening to one where Georgia had never. She was like admitting that she had never seen it up until like she had said that she had seen the end like a bunch, but she hasn't really seen the beginning. And she watched oh. like the whole thing when she first time when she was. Like, like 11 or 12 yeah that's and she like too young yes, to even comprehend what's young. going on but I just thought it was so funny because I feel like when I first watched it I don't think I was that young I was definitely old enough to have watched it mm-hmm. but I think I wasn't old enough to like necessarily understand all of what was really happening yeah it's complex <laughs> which is why I think it's like it takes it one step above just like the horror of it is yeah. that it's very psychoanalytic have and, you like, watched it goes the into it. mind it. hunters yeah Love that. That's well. That's about like. Did you read like the book? I think it might be more than one book. That's like about the two FBI agents. Mm -hmm. But like, I think I might just be like pulling stuff out of my butt. But like, I think they have a book, or they have a book about them that's like really popular, and it's like what Mind Hunters is like based off of. Well, I love it. I love anything that like like, done so. That's done so beautifully. It's so beautifully. It's so good. God. Well, okay, so... Sorry. No, 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 you're good. So I've been reading, and I've been staying on top of that. Yeah. But before this, I read Catcher in the Rye this year. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to read it in high school. I didn't either. I bought it in high school because I thought I was going to have to read it, but my English class did not cover it. Yeah, mine didn't either. Everyone else think. did, but I didn't. So I've had this book for like nine years now, and I was in between like... I just read a book that I really liked and I was trying to find the other one in a bookstore and I couldn't, but I had Catch in the Rye on my bookshelf. And I was like, well, you know, a resolution's a resolution. I got to keep on going. And I've had this, like, I better read it. (laughs) Like, you know, it's like what it's about briefly. Yeah. But I always kind of, I don't know. I actually really don't know anything about it. I didn't listen too much about what everyone was saying. So I like, I knew what it was about, but I didn't. Like I needed to read it to like fully understand. I have no idea what it's about. I'm going to be, I'm sorry if that, if I'm a hater, but I'm excited. Well, I'm glad you say that because (laughs) we're going to be learning a lot on this pod then well so i read catcher in the rye i'll just say that i hated it i absolutely hated it and that's probably gonna anger hot take hot english teachers everywhere but like this book uh, this book was monotonous and i know it has like a deeper meaning and i'll get into it but it brings me to what i'm gonna talk about today if you want to just like get into it let's get into it i don't really have anything else i'll just blab on until you cut me off no that's fine so yeah so i read the catcher in the rye which is why i'm talking about what i'm talking about today because like the book is still fresh in my memory yeah long story short it was like banned from u.s schools wait what yeah so this book was written in like 1950, 1951. Okay. And it was banned from being used in schools from 1960 to 1982. Wow. Yes. And why it was banned, I will get into, but it's so fucking stupid. The reason? Yes. Okay. As all like censorship for books in like high school, everyone's like afraid. They're like profanity, foul language, all this stuff. They're like, I don't want my teenager to hear that. We did not grow up in that era. What do you think your teenager has been doing all this time? Like, do you honestly think, you know, things like that. We grew up in like the opposite era where they were like, if you want to read this book that has the N word a bunch, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So see that like their priorities were misplaced. Yeah. yeah. And this isn't one of those books. Okay. But it does say like bullshit and ass and it talks about sex, all this stuff, but it was banned. They were like, my dear heavens. So fucking 
Um, But so not only was this banned, this book inspired three murders. This book inspired killers. Yes. Or the killers say that they were inspired by this book to carry out murders, which makes me even more enraged because I think of, I think of the heaviness of killing someone and I think of the book and I'm like out of all the books. Yeah. That's where this is. That is just, uh, so I have been positively raging about this when everyone yeah. asks me, like, what book have you read? Like, did you like it? I, I know. won't go on a even, rant. Even when you were reading it, like, a few weeks ago when you came oh. over here and you were like, you are not even ready for this. And when I was like, save it for the pod, babe. Yeah. Um. And oh, by the way, our dear listeners, this week, because Clarice is getting into kind of like a big heavy hitter, it's just going to be her this week and me just listening and reacting and yes so you get to let my voice fill your ears for this yeah this all the educational rant i'd like to say i think there's a purpose to this more than me on here so far i think your instagram post has more likes than mine so we need to fix that folks no Mm. no you're enforcing it right now Uh, i'm reinforcing it's okay yeah you're enforcing (laughs) like my post if not no like mine (laughs) Don't like hers anymore. She has enough likes. I need validation from I everyone. I don't know. I, I, I know evil Elmo now. I have him in my arsenal. <laughs> that was too okay. fresh. That was bad, but yeah, I, so I retract. I'm, I'm not friends with evil Elmo. You're not friends with him. Um, yeah, please so I'm don't just arrest be chilling. me. I'm very excited to like not have to do homework. I'm bringing, I'm bringing spark notes into this. I just wanted to use a source that was easy and tangible for readers. Oh to yeah, follow. totally. And totally. Sparknotes does a really great job of like summarizing and analyzing any book. Again, Sparknotes everyone in high school. Knows. High school. Thank you. So specifically today, yeah. I am going to be talking about the heavy, frustrating, annoying, and very tragic death of John Lennon <sighs> in 1980. And little overview: John Lennon was assassinated outside of his apartment in New York by a man who we will get into. Fuck him, but mm-hmm. he was inspired by Catcher in the Rye. Oh my god. And as we'll see, it is very like prevalent in his trial, in literally on the scene. Like it's just, it's enraging. It's absolutely enraging. And when I found out that John Lennon, mm-hmm. who is a legend in all means, yeah. was taken out of this world by this, oh, yeah. oh god, I am ready, I am ready to throw things. Yeah. This murder was arguably one of the most upsetting events to occur like in the world and in the world of music like at the time but also within like the last 100 years yeah i definitely agree when i told people that what our podcast that's that's like one of the few there was like a few big names that i've gotten a lot where people are like you should cover this cover this one um this was definitely one that i kept hearing as well yeah absolutely and it caused a worldwide upset to like put it lightly as well as like three confirmed suicides by (gasps) fans when they learned that he died yeah so there's three confirmed i wonder if there's more but that's just like terrible oh no like people were so distressed when he was killed i don't know if this has ever happened in history other than this time i bet it has but like a moment like a 10 minute moment of silence was held worldwide oh wow his wife yoko ono at the time like held this worldwide moment of silence wow that was like six days after his death but still regardless like that's beautiful in honor of him I yeah mean, yeah as beautifully tragic yeah so like i said before his fame and his impact on music and like the world of pathicism mission for world peace and all that stuff like the world was clearly prepared to like not live without him yeah which is why it angers me so much that some idiot had to take him out of this world because of a stupid book that was like his ma- go into it i'm yeah. not gonna ask questions 
I don't know anything. No, you're I, fine. I don't know any details, not only about Catcher in the Rye, but honestly, I don't know too many details about his assassination. Yeah. So here's so how I'm, I'm gonna excited. I'm gonna go into this a little bit strategically. So it's like I'm gonna give us all the facts and then we'll piece it together. Okay. So I'm gonna talk about John Lennon and everything that he was, his legacy, all that stuff. I'm gonna talk about Mark David Chapman, who is the killer. John Lennon's murderer. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to talk about Catcher in the Rye. Okay. And we'll put it together. Love it. Okay. Again, English teachers, you've taught me many a great book, and I'm happy I didn't have to go on this in high school. Yeah. And now that I did and I'm older, I'm able to respond and have a better, like, grasp and perception of the book. And why I yeah. hate it is definitely an age thing, as we will see, but it's also, like, I've lived in this world long enough, and I need people to just grow the fuck up. I mean, period. To, to put it lightly. To put it lightly. Yeah. All right. So let's start off a little bit about John Lennon. And I know he's quite famous and people know his contributions, but let's just like dive into it. Let's break it. it down, babe. To start off, John Lennon was born on October 9th, 1940 in Liverpool, England. Mm-hmm. And he was born during a German Blitz air raid in World War II. Like the day he was born? Yeah. As we know, like in World War II, like the Germans would come and they would just like bomb big cities in England. So he was born during one of these air raids, oh my God. which is just like... Crazy to think about. Can you imagine giving birth while a bunch of bombs are going around? Yeah, you? literally. Giving birth is traumatic enough. Please. So I was like, okay, that's a cool fact. Yeah. Okay, so his parents separated around the time he was four. So he went to live with his aunt Mimi. His father was away most of his childhood because he was a merchant seaman. So, you know, he's like out on the ocean. And his right. mother, Julia, would visit him frequently. I couldn't find any information about like why she may have lost custody of him or why he went to live with his aunt instead of his mom. Do you think, I think that was like kind of popular, like they would, not popular, it's wrong word to use. It was common for like children to kind of be sent away to live with a distant relative. If their parents if were divorced? No, like, well, maybe it was like, it was probably like a money thing, I'm assuming. I'm assuming. Or maybe it was just that like safer, it. it was safer where Aunt Yeah, Mimi or like lives. maybe, you know, his mom couldn't like afford to like take care of him. But she did visit him a lot. It was his mother that taught him to play piano and banjo and bought him his first guitar. She unexpectedly passed away in 1958 after being hit by a car <gasps> driven by an off-duty police officer. Oh my God. Yeah, so it's said that her death was one of the most traumatic events in his life. Yeah. Um, to put it lightly, so like 1958, 1940, he's like a teenager, 18. So that's oh like a very God. impressionable time, like anyway, oh as my a God. child. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah. So Lennon attended Quarry Bank High School during the time Elvis was paving the way for the rock and roll scene. And this was like kind of before his mom passed away. So this is like when he was 16. Mm-hmm. He was inspired by Presley and decided to make a band of his own named the Quarrymen after his school. He soon met Paul McCartney, who the bass player for the Beatles, at a church feat on July 6, 1957. He soon invited McCartney to join the group and the two eventually formed one of the most successful songwriting partnerships that we know of. It is also notable to mention that Lennon, like in addition to like being a good musician, was also like a really good visual like graphic artist. He was a bit of a troublemaker in school and his teachers saw that he would like doodle and doodle well and like wasn't really, you know, into the class with all that stuff. So they recommended that he go to college for art and that will come back later as we'll see. So after 1957, the following year, McCartney introduced George Harrison, who was the other guitar player, mm-hmm. into the group. And by 1960, they had settled on Pete Best as their drummer at the time. The first recording that they made with this band was Buddy Holly's That'll Be the Day in 1958. And it was Holly's group, The Crickets, that inspired the band to change its name. 
with the oh. spelling adjustment. Too. Yeah. So they're like, oh, well, inspired so by the crickets. And were they the, the Beatles, but B-E-A. Were they B-E-E. the Beatles when they recorded? No. So they, so in 1958, they became the Beatles. Okay. But in 1957... They were still the quarrymen. The quarry men. Okay. Yeah. Or I should say like 1960 was when they recorded this. Sorry. The original song by Buddy Holly came out in 1958. Okay. So 1960 is when they recorded their version. Gotcha. Which is when they became like the Beatles formally, I think. Okay. So now... As the Beatles, they were discovered by Brian Epstein in 1961 at Liverpool's Cavern Club, where they were performing like on a regular basis. Epstein became their new manager and secured a record contract with EMI, which was the Electric and Musical Industries, a really big studio brand in England at the time. Epstein also got them the new drummer, Ringo Starr, which is where Ringo comes into this. There he is. And George Martin was a producer for them and worked with them very frequently, but especially in their like beginning. Mm-hmm. And with Martin and now Ringo, the group released their first single, Love Me Do, in October of 1962. So by this time in 1962, the four members, Lennon, McCarthy, Harrison, and Starr, were the four that we know most famously today. Okay. Cool. All right. So Lennon married his first wife, Cynthia Powell, in 1962. They had their first son, Julian, who was named after his mother, Julia. She was forced to keep a very low profile during the next few years of Beatlemania, as we will get into which most likely led to their divorce in 1968. So between 1962 and 1968, the Beatles, they became discovered, they started making stuff, and then Beatlemania happened. So it was the next year in 1969 that he met Yoko Ono, who was a Japanese avant-garde artist who he already met in 1966 at some event in New York City, I think. Okay. Not sure, but they already, they met in 1966 when he was already married to Cynthia. Oh, and then But as soon as he got divorced with Cynthia, he married Yoko in 1969. And as we know, she is like the most prominent like spouse figure in his life up until his death. Yeah, yeah. But she's an avant-garde artist. And remember that Lennon was an artist oh, in yeah. high school. Okay. So they, they kind of... They bonded about that? Yeah. All right. So let's talk Beatlemania. So the Beatles became the first British band to break out and like big in the United States, beginning with their appearance on television's The Ed Sullivan Show. I was going to say. That's on like, yeah. Feb- yeah, February 9th, 1964. That's like the big one that everyone can. It's the day after my birthday. Yeah, and I can like <laughs> see it in my brain. Like we know that performance. I've like, seen that. I've seen They're that on video. on that stage. And mm-hmm. it's very like, it's so 50s, but we're in the 60s now, you know? Yeah. They showed up on that show. Beatlemania launched like the British invasion of rock bands mm-hmm. in the United States. So that included the Rolling Stones, like the Kinks, like all those British bands. Yeah. So following their appearance on Sullivan, the Beatles returned to Britain to film their first film, A Hard Day's Night, in 1964 and prepare for their first world tour. So they're kind of like heating up real fast. Yeah. The Beatles' second film, Help, was released in 1965. In June of that year, Queen Elizabeth announced that the Beatles would be named a member of the Order of the British Empire. So they're like knighted. Wow. Yeah. Which I think is, that's fun. They also recorded the breakthrough album Rubber Soul in 1965. This is important musically because it was noted for extending beyond the love songs and pop formulas for which the band was like previously well known. So now we've started coming into like the Beatles are making their own sound, becoming like experimental within like the rock genre, setting a new way for like pop and like other things to be formed out of it. Right, right. Beatlemania had begun to lose its popularity by 1966. 
The band members' lives were put in danger when they were accused of snubbing the presidential family in the Philippines. Oh, no. Yes. So they did that. The invasion of, like, the Beatles and, like, other countries were kind of like, ooh. And at the same time, there was that ever-famous remark by Lennon that the band was, quote-unquote, more popular than Jesus now, which incited, like... A whole crazy backlash in the South, specifically. Oh, yeah. Like, Beatle records were like denounced. Record bonfires were hosted, like, in the US Bible Belt. Uh, For those who don't know where the Bible Belt is, they love burning books and it is all their an shit area. Like yep. It's like, um, it's a few states, like, in the South that are considered to be super, like, traditional when it comes to, like, Christian values and stuff like that. Specifically across Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Arkansas, South Carolina, Tennessee, North Carolina, Georgia, and Oklahoma. So that's our good old Bible Belt in America. And they were like, <laughs> you think you're bigger than Jesus? I'm going to burn your record now. They're like, oh, we love the Beatles. Burn them. I like how, oh. um, I like when bands become so popular that just, like, them existing is, like, controversial. Yeah, Like, they really didn't, like, at that point, didn't do anything, like, problematic just as a whole. Mm-hmm. And then people were like, you guys are the devil. I Literally. like when, I like when bands or, like, uh, artists are, like, called, like, the devil for, like, just being like, hey, maybe other people think different. <laughs> One would think. But so 1966 was when all those crazy things went down and people were starting to like renounce the Beatles and just be like, ooh, you're not more popular than Jesus and you. Well, I also feel like a big thing with people, an issue maybe people more subconsciously had. I think this happens even now. I want to connect it to like One Direction because yes. like it's like things, art and things. influenced by One Direction. You should have seen my room. She was a direct, an ex-directioner. I was a directioner and like Harry Styles' face was plastered on my wall, like everywhere. Like my family can vouch for this. Honestly, if you walked into my room, I would think there was something wrong with me too. But there is. Yeah. Look where um, we are now. But I feel like it's more, <laughs> I feel like when a thing, it could be art, it could be a show, it could be, you know, whatever is like mostly consumed or maybe geared towards the female population or like more liked or even just like youth as a whole like whatever everyone is like that's stupid and it needs to be censored and it needs to be be censored and it's wrong and it's like ew gross like Mm -hmm. i as like a yeah that's actually a really good link to like the catcher in the rye thing i'm gonna bring up later oh yeah the use of censoring things geared towards youth absolutely and also like with elvis i know you Mm -hmm. said that they were taking influence but people like were like he's the devil and stuff like that because he was more like they're like he's perpetuating like it's because like all the women habits or like he's getting a reaction he's like bringing out the worst in in like the women women. like they're being they're becoming unhinged like god forbid they like are excited about someone yeah i just like i always find that so funny when you especially like back around that time everyone had to be a little more like prim and proper Mm -hmm. type of thing absolutely and for the most part like the beatles they didn't dress promiscuously yeah their song i want to hold your hand literally the least problematic thing ever but it was like we're more popular than jesus now lol and everyone's like whoa was that like the was that like the the tipping point for people that comment alone really for and especially for the southern united states area absolutely people start backlash like i'm talking like when i say that people started hosting like bonfires of their records this was like a mass that's amazing like crazy amount of burn it like literally i would feel kind of cool if like a record made people want to like burn it 
I'd be like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. Well, they, it was that, but also like because they. It's like symbolic for them, mm-hmm. I feel like. When yeah. you burn something like that goes against your values yeah. or something. And I think maybe they took pride in it, but they were like, okay, we're going to stop touring. So in 1966, the Beatles gave up touring after their last concert, which happened at Candlestick Park in San Francisco. So that's like right where I'm at, which I think is really cool. Mm. Yeah. So that was like the last tour that they were going to have for a little, they took a kind of break, but like not really. And they came back in 1967 with their two singles, Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields Forever, followed by the album St. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band, which is huge. Did you just say St. Pepper's? I did. Say it again. I can't. Sergeant Pepper's. I literally have ST on here and I'm, I'm in Bible belt mode. I'm literally in Bible belt mode. I need to calm down. Saint oh no. Peppers. I can't. God bless you, St. Pepper. Stop. That's on I, the same realm as Stairway to Kevin. St- oh, guys. <laughs> guys, I promise I know it's Sergeant Pepper. Please do not. She knows. She knows. She's just in the, she's in the zone. I'm gonna, I need like, you know, like the Mother Mary. <laughs> Thing, I'm gonna put like a pepper. Stop it. it. Stop. <laughs> Is that sacrilegious? <laughs> Are we gonna piss off people? Are they Saint gonna burn Peppa. our pod? They're gonna burn our podcast um metaphorically. You know, I'm glad I can influence that in you guys. <laughs> you know, I think we like swear too much for a lot of like super religious people to be listening. You know, Maybe probably. not. Or like I guess I should say super conservative. Yeah. But I also think, I don't know, this content's interesting. Don't be boring. Don't be boring. 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 <laughs> I'm sorry, can Brought I? Brought to you by St. Pepper. It's like Dr. Pepper's like weird sister. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Pepper's philanthropic sister. Oh my God. This music with Strawberry Fields Forever and Sgt. Pepper, they expanded their experimental sound with like the drug influence, exotic instrumentation, lyrics and tape abstractions. And it's considered to be one of the greatest like rock projects in history. And I will say that like the experimentation of sound in this album, like definitely paved the way for like mixing different instruments, like different sounding things together for a lot of like pop and rock. They were now coming out of like the classic, you know, just guitars and drums and like a singer and like going into weird vocal like mixes and like, oh, what if we brought this crazy other instrument in here or like brass, like all that stuff. And it definitely helped like broaden the horizons for popular music. Because if this was going to be popular, then like imagine what else could be popular too. Right. Like people it, could be a little more experimental. Yeah. And it, it, it like allowed listeners to kind of broaden their own horizons as well and like accept different kinds of music. Totally. Which I think is really important. Yeah. Unfortunately, in August of 1967, Epstein died of a sleeping pill overdose. So that rocked the foundation of management for the Beatles. McCartney took over leadership and the next few events that I'm going to talk about, although very popular and notable, like notably funny, will show the slow misdirection and unweaving of the band. So McCartney takes over and then like these things happen. Okay. Their third film, Magical Mystery Tour, gained little commercial success, which led them to retreat into their transcendental, I think I said that right? Transcendental meditation. I'm not the person to ask if you pronounce something right. I just pronounce everything I think it's Transcendental Meditation. um, Founded by Marishi Manesh Yogi. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing that took them to 
India for two months in early of 1968. And we all know how the Beatles went to India and like John Lennon learned how to play like the sitar and all this crazy stuff. There's like footage about this too. Yeah, yeah. The meditation itself is just a form of silent mantra meditation. So repetitive, self-awareness, stress relief, like the whole nine yards. The band's interest in Marishi's teachings were actually led by George Harrison's like commitment to it. I was going to ask how they get into that. Uh Good thing enough because they're you know, documentation and them like going to India rapidly changed the way that like Western cultures viewed spirituality and religion from Eastern cultures. They got kind of like a look on the inside and saw. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're like, oh, the Beatles like it. Right, right. It can't be that much of a bad thing. So all you yoga people out there, all you yoga ladies that like think the Beatles are weird, you should thank them. That's is that I'm a saying. thing? Like a bunch of yoga people don't like. I don't know. Like I don't want to say that the Beatles single-handedly like brought yoga or like anything over here. Like meditation, and but stuff. their influence enough made a lot of people reconsider like their previous conceptions about like Eastern culture. Well, it's just like exposure to exactly. It too. I'm sure they it's didn't exposure, have too much exposure with the Beatles' influence. It's like exposure right. with someone that they also enjoy. Totally. Which is maybe a good and a bad thing because why do a bunch of like white men have to go over to India for it to be okay? Yeah. I mean, that in itself is like problematic. Yeah. But, but it happened. Right. That happened in India. And then their next management effort with Apple Corp, it was plagued by mismanagement. So they tried this other like management team, didn't work out that well. Um, And then that July, the group faced its last notably hysterical crowd at their premiere of their fourth film, Yellow Submarine. Oh, classic. Things are just going bad. And then they have this like film premiere and just like the crowd is like, Like, about it. Like we know how like popular Yellow Submarine is. Yeah. And just because of like, oh, they haven't been like putting out music. Things have been like weird behind the scenes, like all this stuff. Like the fans are like, what is going on? I see. I see. And in November of 1968, the Beatles double album, The Beatles, also known as The White Album, Mm -hmm. um, displayed their divergent directions in management, interest, and artistry. So if you listen to that album, there's a lot of stuff going on. Like musically? Yeah. Sonically? Ideas. I see. All of it. It's all because of this like crazy turmoil that they're going through as far as like management and direction goes. Was like the management kind of trying to... Because if we think with Epstein before, he had the one producer with him. And that producer and that record label kind of helped guide their sound and like provide them with an environment. But then you had, you know, here John McCartney trying to like be the manager and like a leader clashing with Lennon. Like you think of like McCartney and Lennon were the songwriters. Yeah. So they were working together, but then all of a sudden you have McCartney become manager as well. It just like confuses a lot of things. Well, that also, I think like probably messed up like the power dynamic of like the band don't you think absolutely yeah and at the same time that that power dynamic was getting all warped lennon had an artist partnership with his wife yoko ono Mm -hmm. and they had begun to cause serious tensions within the group they invented a form of peace protest lennon and oko by staying in bed while being filmed and interviewed i think that's like one of their big things too there's a lot of interviews of them like sitting on the bed together you know okay this is a form of peace protest peace protest what are they protesting like world peace by just being in bed yeah at the same time, this was also, like, Vietnam and all this, like, other crazy shit going on, you know? Yeah, right, right. Um, so they're like, oh, world is in turmoil, like, every, like, Everyone and so they bed. stayed in bed. Yeah. I didn't look too much into that. That's, that's like, what I did. I, know, I do that's that, That's what too. we do that every day. <laughs> <laughs> Why won't the world be better if I just sit here? It is. 
It's truly better if you because just we sit, sit here and not wreaking havoc like we would, like the little gremlins that we are. No, we're good. I'm a gremlin. I'm a gremlin. I can't lie. I'm sorry. I'm lying. But also, I guess not so not doing anything here for them, but like give peace a chance. That single came out in 1969. Right, right. So that was big. His relationship with his wife, funny enough, because he was going out and doing like other artistic pursuits and like very public pacifist movements and things like that. Like it started to cause tensions with like the artistry and the direction like within the band as well. Yeah, a lot so, of people like say that that's the reason that the Beatles broke up. Like they blame her specifically. Mm-hmm. And Lennon actually left the Beatles in September of 1969. So earlier 1969, Give Pete's a Chance came out. And I feel like for the public eye that like didn't really have any insight onto like the behind the scenes of the band, they're like, the band is so big now. Right. You have their, the White Album and you have Yellow Submarine. Like you think of all these like things that the Beatles are known for, but you wouldn't think that that was close to the breaking point. Yeah, I mean, I keep thinking, like, you keep saying, like, the years, Mm -hmm. and it keeps, like, bringing me back to, like, you're not even in the 70s yet. No. This is, all of this is happening within, what, like, five, six years? Yeah, so, like, the Beatles got big in 1962, and Lennon leaves in 1969. That is such a short amount of time for how their growth and their Mm -hmm. popularity and just how much music they put out, genuinely. Exactly. It was a very fast burn. So, Lennon leaves in 1960. But he leaves right after the group completes Abbey Road. So Abbey Road is the last Beatles album. And that's like notably the most famous. And the news of the breakup was kept secret until McCartney announced his departure in April of 1970. So a month before the band released Let It Be and Let It Be was just recorded before Abbey Road. So they recorded both these two things. Mm -hmm. But like officially the Beatles weren't broken up until 1970. But Lennon had already secretly left by then. Oh, so it was kind of like private then public. Yes, because it wasn't public until McCartney also decided to leave. I see. And McCartney decided to leave in 1970. Lennon was already gone. So maybe there was like a few months where they're like, we can revive it. We're not going to tell people that we broke up. We don't want to jump the gun. Like maybe Mm -hmm. I just need a break or something. Right. And it was also like Abbey Road came out and then Let It Be came out. I don't know. I don't want to be like metaphorical. It's okay. But like, it's interesting how like Abbey Road is I'm like walking across the street. Literally, I think... I think Lennon's in the front. Mm-hmm. Lennon's like walking away. Oh. And then Let It Be was the last single that came out before they broke up as if to just be like, let this one be. Wow. Look at you, man. I know. I was like, that was so kind of crazy. Symbolism. I'm trying. It's honestly very on par for what I'm about to talk about. Yeah. Symbolism and metaphors. I hate them. <laughs> Okay, so Lennon is out of the band by this point. The band is broken up 1970. So if you think about it from start to finish, the Beatles only lasted eight years. That is That's nuts insane. Though. For their influence and still they have a hold on society, eight years. Insane. Wow. But it's also crazy because I feel social media and the press moved a lot slower back then. So it probably felt like an eternity as to here we have things at our fingertips every day to where an eternity feels like the corn meme yeah like that was long ago but it wasn't it wasn't but like it was that was october oh my god bad bad point in case case in point (laughs) enough (laughs) (laughs) my job is not to listen anymore it's just to make sure that clarice is Is saying those words wrong (laughs) and phrases (laughs) oh i'm doing my best i know you're doing great i love you so much there's a lot of info here Yes. Okay. So in 1970, Lennon released his debut solo album, John Lennon and the Plastic Ono Band, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, featuring a raw minimalist sound that followed primal scream therapy. 
interesting. I didn't really want to get into that because I can probably do a whole podcast on that. On primal scream therapy? Yeah. That's just yelling. Like, it's like... Yelling! That's like... Waving my hands hands a lot. (laughs) If you get the reference, you get it. If you don't, sucks to not be in the know. Anyway. Um... (laughs) primal scream therapy is like kind of like the well i think modern day people are like somatic therapy because i think they utilize that in that healing where you like you release your emotions through Mm -hmm. your body yeah well if we think about it him and ono working together and like their whole take on world peace and therapy and self-awareness it's very in line sorry to sideline but when 2020 happened and the world was falling apart Mm -hmm. I we were still in Boston and me and my other best friend Rory we would go and walk down to the Charles River and just scream at the top of our lungs like like literally screaming like we were dying no one no one judged us no one batted an eye because like they were probably like I get it yeah because everyone wanted to I'm sure people wanted to join in with us I'm not even playing like we would do that like maybe once a week we did it a few times but we would just walk down there and just yell like everything sucks <laughs> it was really I should have been with it you actually when you was did healing. that it was healing <laughs> so like we I should get just it. do that now because people in LA wouldn't bat an eye either no you're so right as long as we're not yelling at them no yeah well, I we didn't yell at anyone we I've got to rip your throat out yeah no <laughs> Oh my god! Oh no! <laughs> I'm sorry. Evil Elmo has taken over my life. Send help. Send help. Okay, so he released that album along with his project in 1971, Imagine, very mm-hmm. famously known, which was the most commercially successful and critically acclaimed of all Lennon's post-Beatle efforts in music. Yeah. As this was released not too long after the band broke up, I can almost safely assume that he had been working on this project while being in the band. I would say so too, yeah. Yeah, leading to maybe the tension that we were talking about a little ago. Right, right. Because if he's working with, you know, his wife while the band is like trying to do things and then, you know, they break up and then immediately he like has this project. This project's very notable. So it's not, I feel like you just don't like wake up and create something like this. Like you take the time to like build this especially with like his wife. So maybe he did wake up because he's that much of a genius. I don't know, but I would safely assume by personal experience that we just like (laughs) wake up and make something. Yeah. But he and his wife also did like a lot of like visual and graphic art collaborations together, which as we remember that he was also a very talented artist. Mm -hmm. Lennon and Ono moved to the United States in September of 1971, but were constantly threatened with deportation by the Nixon administration. Not cool. So Lennon was told that he was being kicked out of the country due to his 1968 marijuana conviction in Britain, but the singer believed he was being removed because of his activism against the unpopular Vietnam War. So like... 100% what that was. Yeah. It was such a political thing and he was in the limelight and he's this like famous person so of course you know nixon is gonna hyper fixate on that documents later proved he was correct two years after nixon resigned in 1976 Lenin was granted permanent u.s residency so nixon was just trying to make his life a living hell for like no good reason like don't you have better things to do one would think but his immigration battle took a toll on Lennon's marriage, and in the fall of 1973, he and Ono separated. Lennon went to Los Angeles, where he released hit albums, including Mind Games, Walls and Bridges, and Rock and Roll. 
During this time, Lennon also collaborated with David Bowie and Elton John. So they made relationships. And I believe at Lennon's like funeral, Bowie and Elton John spoke. Oh. I know. He went off to LA, did his own thing for a little bit. But then Lennon and Ono got back together the next year. So they divorced 1973, but then they like reconciled in 1974 and had their one and only child named Sean on Lennon's 35th birthday, which I think is kind of cool. So he and Lennon share the same birthday. Oh, wait. Okay, I didn't... Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? Yeah, so Lennon and his son share the same birthday. Aww. Day. That's cute. Um, yeah, October 9th. Um, shortly thereafter, Lennon decided to leave the music business to focus on being a father and husband, which that's, is funny. He's like, cute. I have a son now. I can't balance this work. She's on and it again. We already talked about that. I know, which I think is funny because I made, I made a funny little jab in my notes where I was like... After five years of being a good father and husband, he came back to the music industry oh in 1980 God. with his double fantasy album featuring the hit single, Just Like Starting Over. And what he would create next, we would never know because a few weeks after this album was released, he would be gunned down outside of his New York apartment and killed by a deranged fan, Mark David Chapman. <sighs> so he comes back to the music industry and oh my God. gone after the first thing he puts out. So... Here we go. We're going to talk about this piece of garbage now, Mark David Chapman. We do need a little background just to kind of understand motive and where he was coming from. Right. Although I don't like talking about it, but it is important. So he was born on May 10th, 1955 in Fort Worth, Texas. A lot of his early life was spent growing up in Georgia, where as a teen, he became pretty dedicated and obsessive as a fan to the Beatles, especially with Lennon. But in high school, he became a born-again Christian after he graduated. He worked for the YMCA as a counselor for Vietnamese refugees in Arkansas. His born-again realization was right in line with when the Beatles said that they were more powerful than Jesus. He's in Georgia, so he's in the Bible Belt. Oh. So he was like born again, like when that, that enraged. Yeah. So the fact that Lennon thought he was bigger than Jesus now oh. started some sort of, you know, turmoil in him. Right. It is also said that later, like his songs, like Imagine and God from like his Imagine album mm-hmm. would further push that enragement with like Lennon and the, you know, his Beatles, like all that, that fan stuff that he loved them so much, but now they're... Yeah, that's weird that he was such a dedicated fan, and Mm -hmm. then... Well, I think it was like that for a lot of people in the Bible Belt, that as soon as you harsh on, like, religion, even something... I don't think Lennon meant that in any malicious way whatsoever. He was just like, LOL, we're bigger than Jesus now. Yeah. And people were like, oh my god! I think it's kind of like The devil! It's kind of like a funny comment. Yeah, there was was a joke. It was a joke. Yeah, it feels like a joke. People say that. Very sarcastic joke. No, people say that. That's a good joke. That's a great joke. It's funny. Because it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know Lennon? Yes. Do you know Jesus who? (laughs) (laughs) Not personally. (laughs) Yeah, literally. (laughs) So, so we started this like resentment. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1977, he moved to Hawaii. It's said that his girlfriend of several years had just broken up with him and he was failing his college courses in Georgia. And while he was in Hawaii, he attempted suicide, but was hospitalized and survived. How he attempted was not important. I just think this was more of like a beginning of like shedding light onto his like mental status and stability. Right. Became right. like as soon as he did that, like, you know, he was diagnosed with clinical depression and his mother moved out to join him in Hawaii. Okay. She was also divorcing his father at the time. 
So it looked like they both just needed like a change of scenery. Anyway, so in 19, so that was 1977 that that happened. In 1979, Chapman married and became a security guard. Still living in Hawaii, it is said, I think it's by his like wife or just like on record or he admitted to this in like later interviews, but it is said that he became increasingly homicidal and unstable over this year, 1979. He became hyper fixated on the book Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger, resonating a bunch with the main character from the novel, Holden Caulfield. He wanted to model his life after Holden's in the book. He created a list of people he wanted to kill. This list included Lennon, Elizabeth Taylor, who is the actress from Cleopatra and who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, so yeah. famous actress. And I believe she just passed away in like 2011 or something like that. So she was around for a long time. Right. Johnny Carson, who was the American television host yeah. from The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Ronald Reagan and Paul McCartney, but he focused on Lennon specifically calling him a quote unquote phony. That term is only important because in Catcher in the Rye, um, the main character Caulfield uses the term phony a lot when describing adults. And we'll get more into that. So that terminology is important. But for Chapman, according to his wife, Gloria, Quote unquote, he was angry that Lenin would preach love and peace yet have millions. He told us to imagine no possessions and there he was with millions of dollars in yachts and farms and country estates laughing at people like me who had believed the lies and bought the records and built a big part of their lives around his music. Okay, so he's, not to be controversial, like I get that mentality yeah. a lot, but that doesn't make me homicidal. Like, exactly. Thinking so about he it. really started to kind of pick up on his Lenin's quote unquote phoniness. Right. And got mad about it. But like, honestly, being that big of a celebrity that is, you're not a real person. No, you are. That's a lie. But like you, you are not in the same reality as like 99% of people. Mm -hmm. And so then, um, Chapman says, I would listen to this music and I would get angry at him for saying in the song, God, that he didn't believe in God that he just believed in him and Yoko and he didn't believe in the Beatles. This was another thing that angered me, even though this record had been done at least 10 years previously. I just wanted to scream out loud, who does he think he is saying these things about God and heaven and the Beatles, saying that he doesn't believe in Jesus and things like that. At that point, my mind was going through a total blackness of anger and rage. So I bought the Lennon book home into this catcher in the rye where my mindset is holding Caulfield and antiphoniness. So he really took to this book and like kind of like looked at the things that he was like obsessed with that he, as he says, built his life around Lennon's music. And as this character, as we'll talk about in this book, is like, you know, realizing things about himself, like Chapman is like saying like, oh, I'm this character too. Like I'm realizing things and like about myself and like my idols are phonies and like all these things. And he's like fixating on it. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious that he has, like, some sort of, like, obsessive personality because even before he was born again, it sounds like his life revolved around Mm -hmm. the Beatles. And, like, he just found something new to obsess over. Kind of, yeah. And so he is becoming this unstable being in 1979. And as we know, in 1979, like, Lennon was still on his, like, break trying to be, like, a good father and husband. Right. So he wasn't even making music. Yeah, he was kind he of was out. on the, the DL. Exactly. So he wasn't really doing much as far as music goes. And here you have Chapman just, you know, going crazy over this one year. He also stated that if he himself could like follow through with this murder, that if successful, it would make him famous, transferring him into something other than a nobody. 
So he says this. Wow. In October 1980, Chapman quit his security job in Hawaii and bought a gun, traveled to New York that same month, but changed his mind about killing Lennon. So he returned back to Hawaii in November and said he was inspired by the film Ordinary People to stop his plans. So just a quick cap. Ordinary People, it was a movie in 1980. It was about the accidental death of like an older son of a family and how it strains the relationships between like the mom, the dad and the younger son. So mm-hmm. his brother. Yeah. The youngest son is so distraught to the point of attempted suicide. So I wonder if Chapman aligned with this. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that tracks like mm-hmm. he probably had resonated with that feeling of being mm-hmm. like so in that dark place that. Exactly. Yeah. And, but he, so he decided not to kill any, he decided to come back. So maybe just like the way that this family like rallied yeah, and you know, the way of, or the wake of their, you know, deceased oldest son, he was like, okay. But also it bothers me that he is pulling so much out of like media things. Yeah, he's it's... inspired by movies. He's inspired by music. He's enraged by movies. He's enraged by music. Like it's all these like things that he's pulling to like, tell them how, like how to feel how yeah, to act it doesn't seem like he really has or uh, a like grasp a on sense, his own reality yeah, his sense of self even and i'm sure that caused a lot of turmoil and he was kind of grasping for anything that he could relate to because mm-hmm. he wasn't sure like how to do it himself exactly yeah and this will be a theme as we will see obviously right right so we already know like he's he's pulling inspiration from lennon he's hating on lennon he's pulling inspiration from movies like all this stuff so he decided to not kill lennon and he came back So he went to New York in October, came back in November. When he returned to Hawaii, he told his wife everything, that he had been obsessed with killing Lennon, and he showed her the gun and bullets, but she did not inform the police or mental health services. What? He had made an appointment to see a psychiatrist, but instead, he went right back to New York in December. So on the 6th of December, he waited outside Lennon's apartment building, the Dakota, to get him to sign a copy of Lennon's album, Double Fantasy, the last album. Mm -hmm. In later interviews, he stated that he considered jumping off the Statue of Liberty and ending his life before he carried out any other plans. What? Do you think maybe he was like, he was kind of going back and forth with it so much. He was like, should I kill someone or should I kill myself? Exactly. That seems to be like a lot of turmoil. Right. But he said, yeah, like when I was like reading interviews and stuff, He'd be so into like killing Lennon. And then he would say something like, I actually wanted to jump off the Statue of Liberty. Like I thought about that a bunch. And it was very like, oh, I'm about it. Like this would be so good. Actually. Right. So there's definitely a conflict there. I'm wondering why the wife, I mean, like why she was It's very concerning. Yeah. And she was, it was like a completely very aware, like I'm not sure if his mom knew, but if his mom was in Hawaii, like I have a hard time believing that maybe his wife didn't like confide in his mom. But it was like his state of mind was known to those close to him before he did any of this. Yeah. Do you think maybe like when he had confided in his wife about these like homicidal Mm -hmm. ideas that maybe she didn't, I don't want to say take him seriously, but maybe, maybe he downplayed the severity of it or no, he like showed the gun. Maybe he, I don't know. I just can't imagine like someone that close to you, especially like being like, I have almost carried out and have a whole plan like of a murder and and also like why are you like going and leaving your wife in hawaii for a whole month to like be in new york to like think about like if you're going to do this or if you're not going to do this like that's crazy like if your significant other just like went to another city yeah and was just like i've been gone for these last few weeks because i was going to try to kill john lennon right and like Like, why did you not the mom and the wife i feel like 
I mean, maybe they just were worried that they wouldn't be taken seriously. Like if they went to police. Maybe I feel like it's like it's definitely layered. Um, that is layered, and I don't want to say like they could have stopped it because like obviously he yeah. had such a strong obsession. You know, mm-hmm. like he was gonna do whatever he wanted to do. But right. like it's just so interesting to me that they were that aware. That's why of I like put it in here. On. I was like, why yeah. did they not do anything? But she knew, and she admitted that she knew after the fact. Wow. And there wasn't too much about that. Like obviously she was guilty, and that was like prevalent in what I read but it wasn't like like she felt guilty yeah Yeah. for not saying anything because obviously you would yeah yeah but that's what i mean i feel it might be out of a fear thing too maybe she was like maybe he's not gonna do anything or whatever right so that was the sixth okay he got lennon to sign an album right right okay and then he was like i might kill myself okay the seventh he accosted singer james taylor on the 72nd street subway station okay and according to taylor he said, quote, the guy had sort of pinned me to the wall and was glistening with maniacal sweat and talking some freak speak about what he was going to do and his stuff with how John was interested and he was going to get in touch with John Lennon. What? Yeah. So he how did he find James? Was he just around? Good question. <laughs> what the, Literally what? how like he pinned John down just by waiting around. So I don't know how yeah. he kept tabs on all these other like famous musicians, but so James Taylor is like literally telling police this Bro, like after what? the fact. He's like I was accosted by this guy yesterday. Oh my the god. The 7th. And um that night on the 7th, he called his wife. She tried to console him, like trying to take the edge off by saying that he should talk to God and work on that relationship. Right. So that was her view. She was like I think you just need to like better solidify your relationship with God and all your other problems will go away. Right. But I wonder if he's outright saying to her, you know, I'm back in New York and I still feel these feelings, how I do about John Lennon and I have the gun and I have the bullets. And she's just like, you need to work on your relationship to God. And I think you won't have a problem with John Lennon anymore. I wouldn't be born again, Christian too, or she told him that she told him to rediscover his relationship. So Uh, I'm guessing. Oh, maybe then she thought like that would stop it then. Okay. Maybe that. Yeah. So wait, but that's infuriating because he called her the night before. Yeah. It happened. So he told her the month before that he was going to do it and then came back and did it. And now he's calling her the night before and like saying all these crazy things. And then on December 8th, he in the morning left his hotel room, but left all of his personal stuff behind. So clearly was, you know, he wanted the police or whoever to find it. He returned to the Dakota and waited for Lennon and Yoko to come home that night. And I think it was late. It was either like after eight or after 10. But you know, when they were coming home, he then fatally shot Lennon in the back from only a few yards away. Oh my God. And this is the crazy and enraging part for me is that he stayed at the crime scene and read Catcher in the Rye aloud until he was arrested by the New York PD. In his copy of the book, he wrote, this is my statement to Holden Caulfield from Holden Caulfield. What the fuck? So Lennon is bleeding on the ground. Yoko is screaming. It's also important to note that this, the Dakota apartment building itself sits on the corner of an intersection. Right. And if we think of any intersection in New York City and how busy that is, Mm -hmm. and we think of all like the screaming people or like you know any sort of like weird strange activity that we see on a street corner picture this picture john lennon on the ground i don't want to this man reading aloud over john he's only a few yards away (sighs) reading this book that is actually so okay 
obviously the assassination horrifying enough the fact that he stayed there detail not even just the fact that he stayed there he was just reading fucking catcher in the rye out loud what the fuck yeah and then when nypd showed up he said to one of the officers i'm sure the big part of me is holden caulfield who is the main person in the book the small part of me must be the devil yeah oh my god okay so he's arrested Obviously. Obviously. I believe that first responders came to the scene, but it was such a critical condition that they did not wait for like an ambulance to show up. So they drove to the hospital and upon arriving at the hospital, Lennon was pronounced dead. So it was very quick. Right. Terrible, tragic, the whole nine yards. In 1981, Chapman was charged with second degree murder and underwent psychiatric- Second degree? Yep. That can't be right. Because- (laughs) Uh, he underwent psychiatric testing. Initially, his defense team wanted to pursue an insanity defense. One doctor diagnosed him as a schizophrenic, and the testimony of other mental health experts said that he was in a delusional psychotic state. For years? <laughs> he pleaded guilty in June 1981, claiming it was what the Lord wanted. So what? he, quote, wanted to plead guilty based on what he had decided was the will of God. The judge deemed him competent enough to stand trial. Chapman received a sentence of 20 years to life with a stipulation that mental health services would be provided. Um, And he has been eligible for parole ever since the year 2000, but has been denied 12 times. How is it like a case by case basis? Like how many times like you can go up for parole? No, I think it's every two years. No, but I think sometimes people stop being eligible for parole. after. Oh, oh, that. Yes. I, I, yes, that, that would make sense. Um, wait, Okay, hold on. <laughs> we need to go back a little bit because, first of all, a lot of evidence pointing to very, very premeditated. Exactly. So I how, think... How did... Is it because he just, like, took a plea or something that yes. it was second degree? What the... I know. it's It gets messy, but I... Yes. I In mean, short, I know yes. he's still got, like, life, but, I mean, he's still up it's for tragic. and stuff. Like, I just, like, that. that is so... Yeah. So during a 2012 parole hearing, Chapman told the panel that he had briefly struggled internally on whether to carry out the murder, which briefly, which does prove that you can tell right from wrong. Exactly. It wasn't all totally cold blooded, but most of it was. What do you mean? I did try to tell myself to leave. I've got the album. Take it home. Show my wife. Everything will be fine. But I was so compelled to commit that murder that nothing would have dragged me away from that building. So um, he was denied parole and. 2012, as we can see. And CNN reported that Yoko Ono has historically sent a letter to the parole board every two years since he was eligible in 2000 to request that her husband's murderer remain in prison. So yeah, she sends him I think, a letter I think, every year, every well, two yeah, years, I mean, which is a lot of people, heartbreaking. Yeah. I feel like people get like, you can testify at someone's uh, parole hearing but like i feel like even without her having to do that he would not he makes it very but clear like, in his parole hearings with statements like this that he has like a callous disregard for human pain and suffering yeah of course a menace Obviously. to society if you will so Truly. yeah since 2000 he has had 12 parole hearings just the fact that he even thinks that he can yeah has like the ability to be paroled like obviously those mental health services are not that good where he's getting them. Mm-hmm. But also um, he's staying there. I read nothing about him not being compliant to his treatment. Shocking. He's just like when he does have the chance to like speak something, he just 
says this. And we'll get more into it. But let's talk about the book now. Okay, yeah. Tell me about the book. God damn, this freaking book. Okay. So as we see, Chapman drew inspiration from many forms of media in his life that dictated the way he acted or refused to act or think like... Ordinary People, the two Lennon songs, um, Imagining God. And he was very metaphorical in that sense. But as we know from what I've just told you, he very closely aligned himself with Holden Caulfield from Catcher in the Rye. A little overview of the book. It's narrated by Holden Caulfield, so the main character, while he's assumed to be at a psychiatric facility for treatment. Okay. So already this is the state our character's in. right. In this narration, he's talking about just a few days of his life right before Christmas when he was 16. To clarify, the whole book is about three or so days he spent wandering around New York City after being expelled from his private all-boys prep school. He was expelled because he was failing four out of five classes, and he had failed out of three schools prior to this one. So it's just not about school. Okay, I get that. Fine, yeah. Here I am. He ends the book by saying how he's not going to tell us anything past, you know, those three days, including about how he went home and got quote-unquote sick, meaning, like, we can assume that sick is, like, the where he's at now with the psychiatric treatment center. I see, okay. He spends these few days in New York City because he doesn't want to go straight home and have to, like, tell his parents that he got expelled. Right. Because I believe he got expelled on Friday, and the next week on Wednesday was when they got out for... Winter break. So he has from Friday to like that next Wednesday to do whatever the hell he wants. He can stay at the school, but he decides to leave and he goes to New York City and he goes into bars, gets put up in motels, meets like a stripper and her pimp, meets people that he used to know, calls old girlfriends. Like, you know, he has like a whole line of experiences that he's navigating through as he's just trying to spend time in New York City. Really nothing extraordinary at all. Just like some teenage angst and curiosity, literally something we all experience growing up. Right. So this is just like an ordinary book about just like him recounting events. Okay. Again, when I was reading this book, I was waiting for like a climax. Okay. And I never got it. Yeah. So I was just like, okay. I was like, I was reading someone's like journal, (laughs) but they were just like an angsty teenager. And I'm like, okay, literally I've like felt all these things like cool, whatever. So while on his excursions through the city at all hours... He's often judging people and very observant, but like in a derogatory way, he finds little to enjoy or be interested in. And when um, someone is interested in something, he refers them to be like phony. When they're just interested in anything? Yeah. So this is like a term that we often use for like sellouts or, you know, to assume that like people enjoy materialistic things over like real deep experiences or like, you know, they're just like not who they are or or, like say they are. Right. Right. They're kind of like affected. Uh Yeah, exactly. So. So in this book, Holden refers to like the other adults that he meets in New York City, because remember, he's 16. Mm-hmm. So like all those older than him, he like refers to them as like the phonies. So by default, like he's like, you know, people my age and like children are the ones that are like innocent and authentic. So so angsty. Yeah. So That's I was like, just bro, just let people be happy. <laughs> let people be happy. But he's like, he's in New York City, he's like seeing all these like adults. He's like at a bar and like, you know, people are like laughing and like smooching and he's just like these are all phonies around me and they're literally just adults living their life in the city like he's he's projecting he does not have joy in anything (laughs) yeah he's just very angsty and i you know so are we all at 16 
my point. We're going to get there. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, you see yourself like relating with this a lot. Sure. And you're like, this is nothing ordinary. Or sorry, this is something ordinary. Yeah. Nothing extraordinary. Right, right. Okay. So an important part of the book that comes up in this case is a scene where he's talking to his little sister, begging her not to tell their parents that he failed out of another school. When he tries to explain why he hates school, she accuses him of not liking anything, which is kind of true. Okay. He tells her his fantasy of being a, quote, catcher in the rye, a person who catches little children as they are about to fall off a cliff. This quote of his comes from a poem. But even in the book, he remembers the poem wrong. And his sister tells him that he remembers the poem wrong. So this mantra that he's like built for himself. It's 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 wrong. wrong. It's off. It's misinterpreted. 16 year old. (laughs) Okay. So Holden gets emotional during the book behind closed door moments. And he shares, you know, the turmoil and vulnerability he feels, but never in an interaction with his schoolmates or those he meets like in the city. Mm -hmm. There's one moment where he's watching his little sister on the carousel in Central Park and starts to cry. And it's in these moments of vulnerability and innocence in his sister that he feels protective. So he gets like emotional about like protecting innocence, like truly the catcher in the rye. Like he feels that this is like his calling. Like people like his sister, like like, he wants people kind of. Yes. From losing their innocence. Exactly. Like childhood growing up. Right. Right. So, you know, overall, this is just like a story about a boy who is desperately trying to connect with people at his school, his old friends, teachers, strangers, and failing at it. Mm. It makes him dread maturity and growing up. So he clings onto the idolized innocence of childhood and feels overly protective of kids in that age still like his little sister. So he has little awareness of how this demeanor affects those around him and their ability to relate to him because he doesn't accept societal norms. So like if you're going to be an angsty teenager and you're going to like not have conversations and make people feel world like you're not going to have a good relationship with them. Yeah. What a mind blowing fact. No, no, that's just how it is. And he's (laughs) just so he's just being like a moody, angsty teenager that doesn't want to go up. He's on his own in New York City. Which, like, a situation like that would make you grow the fuck up if you're wandering around at night as a 16-year-old boy in New York City. And he's like, I ran into a stripper and I thought I could have sex with a stripper, but then I got too scared. Well, also... Like, um, what do you expect? Yeah, like, Like, going to bars and stuff like that mm -hmm. at at 16. Or even just, like, being left to your own devices. Like, I mean, he, like, did that to himself. Yeah, and it's like, it's not his fault some of the time, but, like, he immaturely, you know, acts in his... stuck in the age that he idolizes. He so badly wants to be stuck right at that age so like he acts immaturely with every encounter that he has and you know he develops this general disgust of the world and that ultimately leads him to what we think is his mental breakdown Mm. which is why he you know he goes home and he gets sick it's like all these things like you know you just failed out of school like you have to come to terms with the fact And he's just like i'm just not good at school it's whatever i hate school we don't need school like things like that and it's like at one point or another you're gonna be an adult you're gonna grow up but he wants to be the catcher in the rye. Like he really wants to preserve the innocence. Okay. So there's that metaphor, but it's also funny because at the same time, he remembered this line from the poem wrong. Yeah. What was like the real, like, so it was like in the beginning of like the catcher in the rye is like, I think it was like a body meet a body, but he was like a body, like hold a body, something like that. And so, so it's like the catcher in the rye is like a, um, it's not a one person thing. It's like a multiple. It's like more togetherness. Yes. That's it. Okay. I then see. Then like one person is in charge of saving everyone. It's like team versus leader. 
you know? Right, right. So he remembered this whole poem wrong, which changed the interpretation. Therefore, it like rocked his entire belief system. Yeah. Which is also what many analysts will argue was like part of the deterioration like his breakdown yeah because you know if you hold this like belief so dearly so basically his little sister is telling him you have this like self-righteous belief that you have this like duty to play i guess but like you're complex exactly but you're wrong it's not that big of a deal everyone grows up his little sister is saying this yeah yeah Yeah. and so that makes him emotional that makes him like feel you know very out of place because he's so desperately trying to be stuck back in here when you have your little sister telling you to grow up yeah like an identity crisis exactly okay i see feel like I don't even need to read the book. Yeah. So, well, there you go. So like he has made for like himself this line to excuse the way that he acts. Right. Which is wrong from the start. Sound familiar? Yeah. I Yeah. I mean, I am a little bit struggling to see why he connected so much to this character because not only was he a 16-year-old boy Mm -hmm. and a very obviously like unreliable narrator, like very clearly supposed to be unreliable. But clearly he thinks, he like, uh, he connected like, you know, Lenin to being a phony and all that stuff. And, you know, during the book, like, Holden is like struggling to, you know, make relationships with people and find meaning and all the adults around him, everyone seems to be phony. And Mm -hmm. for Chapman, who is like looking around him being like, everyone idolizes this man, like this man is the problem. It's my job to protect everyone else, be the catcher in the rye for everyone else while this man is the problem. See, it's funny because like what it sounds like is like the whole point of the book is that he like got it all wrong. And exactly. the and so I'm like, did he this didn't bitch even a, read yeah, the full book. He definitely didn't read the end or whatever. I yeah. okay, okay, so um, okay, <laughs> so that was like the overview. Well, we're, we're definitely gonna get more than that, but I just yeah. want to say like the book was published in 1951, right after World War II, mm-hmm. and it was banned between 1961 and 1982. And it was the most censored book in American high schools and public libraries during that time. Obviously, it was banned. The conversations about sex, sexuality, angst, the use of offensive language, violence, drug and alcohol abuse for underage kids, like go on and on. It was said to promote a rebellious and overall communist plot. But really, these are just habits happening in like high school teenagers, like all over, all the time. Like, God forbid it enters the classroom and they talk about anything that they might relate to. But like, well, honestly, that kind of like pushes kids to rebel even more, which is like, it's just in your nature as a teenager to rebel against when adults or like authority figures are telling you not to do something or not to read something, not to absorb this information. You're going to want to, you want to even more. And a lot of people obviously don't grow out of that, out of their teens, Mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, they were like, this is going to promote communism in like youth and all this stupid stuff. And I'm like, that's why it was banned. People blame everything on It's a book about ordinary things. It's a book about normal teenage angst and parents are just like, well, no, also, I don't we see can't the relation. I feel like that's not like how did they get that from? <laughs> from how did they get that? How did Con- they get they're to like, there? Kids getting expelled from school, thinking on their own, like dealing with strippers, wandering New York City. How communist of them! That's what made me so mad. I was like, it was banned because of this. Yeah, that is so. St- oh, it makes me angry. I'm like, I it's swear- about nothing. It's a book about normal things, and yeah, like I, it's banned. I- I do understand a little bit. I don't agree, obviously, that the exposure, like, with a young kid, exposure to, like, very adult things, Uh like, can be... I get that. But also, that is a good time to learn 
about like adult yeah. things like hey i know you're, you're still getting a teenager, they're literally but, like, sending them have... into this world and you're just like yeah. it, it's it's so and f- like after 1982 from like 1986 to 2000 like there were nine court cases in an attempt to reban the book again like, a few of them were successful one of them being in california in like 1989 Wow, that seems so, kind of late for that, yeah. in my opinion. Well, ironically, these like the people censoring it are themselves trying to be a catcher in the rye. They're trying to protect. See, they're also getting it wrong. I'm confused. They're getting it wrong too. Exactly. Like <laughs> they're trying to save kids from falling off this like cliff in a poem. I get the intention where you're just like you want kids to be kids and you want mm-hmm. like adults to be adults. Exactly. But, but the realistic thing is like that just isn't how life works for most people. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's a fantasy. It's it it's is that, a fantasy. It's that person that like really wants to try to protect, but like at the end of the day, it could and almost always does have the opposite effect. Yeah. Where you're like so pushing, I need to protect, protect, protect. Mm-hmm that you're you're not pushing. going yeah to. it's gonna be even harder to yeah Alrighty. so that's We're a book podcast now so <laughs> i'm sorry god but so no you don't see... be sorry that was very helpful because i've never read the book and i didn't know mm-hmm. like really what and it that's was like, about ugh, i probably should put it like a plot sorry spoiler alert in there no i feel like people who are gonna read if it you want to read, read it, it there i did not go into detail about his experiences specifically but it's, it's fine. like it, you didn't spoil you anything. probably you're experienced fine. it yourself so uh you're not missing out on much. Do but people, is that like a well-liked book or is it just really popular in like English it's really, classes? It's really popular in English classes. And I think it's it's right around the same time as... I read Fahrenheit 451. Yeah. Which yeah, was literally about too. censorship. Yes. So I feel like maybe people who did read Fahrenheit 451 or like didn't probably read Catcher in the Rye. Like I feel like it's oh, one of two. Oh, you think it's like one of the... See, I actually didn't read that book in school either. I read it on my own, but I was around that age i liked reading this as a adult yeah because i then feel more opinionated about my rage against it because i would want a high schooler to read this you wouldn't or you i would oh okay i'm like this should not be censored oh and this is me coming and i didn't read it and honestly wish i had back then Mm -hmm. like it made Mm -hmm. me angry now because the reasons why it was banned is why i'm like angry because honestly against the book plot Uh, it's fine. I don't hate the book. I hate the way that people used this book out of all books to carry out stupid things. And because it was banned for stupid reasons, as compared to some of the other books that could be banned, like the ones that use the N word or talk, you know, very violently against like what, like, you know, it's situational. Yeah. Like like, for the reasons that this was banned, where women are getting like, like yeah. sexually assaulted or something. Yes. Like I understand like me as a woman growing up in society, I already know that happens. I don't need to read a book about it, but like, yes, but things like this, where it's just like a kid who's angsty, who's like learning about like not growing up. Right. Like, yes, he meets like a stripper. He doesn't have sex ever. They talk about kissing. Yes, there's drinking and drugs, but kids see their parents drink and people do drugs on the street. Like there's, they're not teaching about it. Well, that's It's a kid observing it. So it's more of like an observatory thing. So just the fact that like this was not allowed and granted it was from the 60s to the 80s. So you have like Vietnam and all these other crazy things going on in the world. Like I get why people would be hesitant. But they didn't censor any of like what was going on. And there were, thank there you. Were, there were like there teens was literally, being sent to Viet- Vietnam. Like, yeah. They were and like the news coverage was so things. graphic. Of course it was. Like out of all things, like this to is censor. what you want to like, not that you like, want to censor that kind of information. I'm just saying like my exactly. point is like maybe censor things like books uh, that are like literally pro, censor like, the yeah. news you put on. 
Like, just like worse things. That's know. what I'm saying. So like, yeah, I feel like reading this as an adult, things. I have a better perception. Yeah. Um, and I remember it a lot more clearly. Right. Um, let's now that we know about the book. Sorry, I'm just we, like I'm now in English fine. class mode. I'm I like, know. Let's go into so we it. know about the book and what it's about. <laughs> we know about Chapman right. and we know about Lennon. Right. All right, so let's talk about the garbage man, Chapman, again. Um, <laughs> how does this man think he is Mr. Rye? I am not sure. But he did believe, like we said, Lennon was a phony and that it was God's mission to direct him to carry out this horrific crime. So in a way, like we said, he's being the catcher in the rye himself. Mm-hmm. But even our novel protagonist got it wrong and yeah. had a psychosis breakdown after realizing that he was wrong and not being able to grasp that his whole life mantra was a lie. Hey, well, maybe he like kind of resonated with that because of his like life mantra beating Lenin and like everything that he believed in. And then was like, Lenin doesn't talks all this stuff about Jesus. and doesn't believe in the Beatles. Like how could he? So absolutely. Yeah. Well, cause like, I'm sure that switch from being like not really religious to like being a born again. He also seems like he took that to the extreme, mm-hmm. which is just adds another right. layer of extremism. I don't exactly. even know. Yeah, it just adds but when another he, layer. Like, and the only other issue that I have is like when he read this book, he was far out of high school. He was an adult. I should have uh, looked up how old he was. Well, let's do the math real quick. He was born in 55 and killed Lennon in 80. He's like in his 30s. Almost. He's like like 20. Yeah, like mid late 20s. Yeah, when you were first talking about like the plot of the book and you were like, he's 16, that's when I was like, wait, how does he like resonate with like a 16 year old? But it seems like this is an adult who's putting himself back in the mind of an angsty teenager. But I kind of get it like why he resonates with that because it seems like the protagonist is stuck at mm-hmm. some, this age or like earlier mm-hmm. and maybe Chapman what he exactly like, so like mentally stuck mentally at that age stuck, yeah like so we can wise. see that there's like that gap there right like that percent that being able to do what we're doing right now and be like okay I'm an adult reading this about a teenager mm-hmm. and as an adult I'm saying that I am angry that this was not allowed for teenagers to read but right. this is an adult who's reading a book about a teenager and he's saying, I still feel all this teenage angst and I'm going to act on it. I am Holden Caulfield. The fact that he wrote in the book to Holden Caulfield from Holden Caulfield chills. Like that's yeah. so bad. And so I get like being really into like a piece of media and resonating with characters. And I feel like that's a very common thing. And that's like a big mm-hmm. reason why. Like I resonated with Holden. Like, yeah. But my teenage self resonates with Holden. I do not right. physically sitting here right now feel the same disgust and angst that he did when I was a teenager. Absolutely. Yeah. But even then, like Chapman obviously has such like an obsessive personality mm-hmm. where he has to make like, if he's he again, resonates he's pulling some, from media yeah, like to tell he, him how to act. If he resonates with something like it has to become who he is because his mm-hmm. identity is these obsessions. Right. Exactly. He himself is an enigma because he is just like compiled of like all these other like metaphorical characters and personas and things that aren't even him and so like the only difference between him and holden really is murder (laughs) yeah as he wants to claim and when convicted like in the courtroom chapman was asked if he had anything to say so from memory he rose and read a passage from catcher in the rye enough it's the scene in which holden is telling his little sister what he wants to do with his life like his calling so he's like the passage was I keep picturing all these little kids playing some game in this big field of rye and all. Thousands of little kids and nobody's around, nobody big, I mean, except me. And I'm standing on the edge of some crazy cliff. 
what I have to do, I have to catch everybody if they start to go over the cliff. I mean, if they're running and they don't look where they're going, I have to just come out of somewhere and catch them. That's all I do all day. I'll just be a catcher in the rye and all. That's what he says in court. He reads that passage, and that's a direct passage from the book. He just, like, so obviously has this sense of, like, I am better than everyone. I know best. I'm the only one that knows best. Mm -hmm. And I, he has, like, such a crazy ego. Yes. I'm like, please stop quoting the book in public. Like, oh, that is so cringe. It is so, oh, it's so bad. Oh, God. He, he has a, it's a God complex because he's like, God, God told me to do this, but told me because I am Holden. I am this character. Like so, I have this bigger. Normal so, people who are religious, they're like, God told me that it's all going to be okay. That's okay. That's fine. But God's telling you to go kill people. If babe, literally, if God is telling religious. you to, yeah, if I'm God sorry. is telling you to go kill people, if we've learned absolutely anything from existence ever, no, he is not. <laughs> It's just like, no, he is literally not talking to you. I feel like a lot of like, I don't even want to call them religious because I just feel like it puts such like a, it's, they're just like extremists, really. Like they're just extremists in every sense of the words. I feel like a lot of people who are like extremists in their religion and then kill people and then act on these like delusions and then say that it's because of their religion or they just connect it to their religion is just so it's stop making it's excuses so, well it's also just so detached yeah from there they do not have a clear sense and grasp on like reality at hand for sure it's truly psychotic like genuinely yes. obviously like even again like i said it just adds this other weird layer where you're just kind of like this person genuinely believes that they did a good thing yeah. And they and he still does. And he still does. As we will see, like he well It's just scary. That's like terrifying yeah. genuinely. Like honestly, like and And okay. well what's funny enough for someone that was like this vocal at mm-hmm. the time of, mm-hmm. you know, the assassination. Yeah. For 6 years after he was imprisoned, um I believe he was in like an upstate New York, Attica? Ithaca? No, Attica. Oh, Attica prison. Yes. Oh, I was like Ithaca. No. <laughs> Um, I think there's a college there and that's it. (laughs) No, not Ithaca. No prison there. prison. But after six years of being in prison, like, or I should say it took him six years after being in prison to finally talk. He refused to take any interviews, do any sort of like, you know, statement Mm -hmm. for six years. And then when he did, he started talking to newspapers and tabloids. There's like a People article. He went on television with Barbara Walters and Larry King. What, what Both was of those like, two were in 1992. He was on television. Okay. Um, and talking about this is so, that, this is how we know his thought process and like the true depth of his delusion. inspiration. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, also, what was like the switch? Like, why, why, is he just like, no one's paying attention to me anymore or something? Like, he was like, Wah. yeah. But then he finally opened up That's... and there it was again. But like, for, he was, surprisingly quiet for six years yeah. and there were several articles that were like during this time like he was a good inmate or patient and had jobs at the prison he might have been like a janitor or something right don't quote me on that but he was like being fine and then he showed up on television again and like caused it so really much fed. more pain yeah. yeah 
and again like it fed the and and this is also like 1992 like if we remember like they were still trying to ban this book from 1986 to 2000 after it was like formally banned and like taken off yeah i'm sure they used and this so this quite interview yeah. yeah didn't help in his like preaching of this like book and how he was quoted saying that like people need to read this book because it gives you all of life's answers yeah but you don't want to hear that from like a no murderer. you don't want to hear that from the guy that killed john lennon let alone yeah. do you want to see him like like larry king come on bro well what? i larry yeah. king barbara this, walters who just passed barbara we loved you i did I, not want to hear this i know i have a real big issue with interviewing crazy murderers yeah. like this i couldn't watch like the bundy tapes or whatever mm-hmm. on netflix because you could tell he was just like he was living for off it. on the attention on talking about it on like there was no video to that and you can just hear his mm-hmm. smug fucking face there like, is video of the trial but not the tapes, not the yeah. confession. No, yeah. but even so, like, that is what they want. Like, mm-hmm. he, I'm sure he takes pride in just being known as having that notoriety. Yeah. I'm a big superstar now. Look at me. Exactly. Like, and like... And the fact that he was like, I could be somebody. Oh my God. Somebody it's, out of nobody if I did I just think I it's gross. This. Like, on the other hand, it's very interesting to, like, hear their thought process. Yeah, and I also it. think it's, like, it's one of those things where now everyone can be aware of someone's behavior like this. Instead of I it just guess. being, like, a closed file at a police station. Yeah. And, like, known to, you know, officials or, you know, special people in the, no, the field. Yeah, but I think the difference is, like... I'm going to go back to Mindhunter here. Mm -hmm. It's just fresh in my mind right now. Ed Gein. Mm -hmm. They talked to him in the first season in real life, whatever. Right. He obviously loved talking about. Loved talking about He loved being like, oh, it's all about me right now. Right. And that was very important because that 100% paved the way into classifying these killers Mm -hmm. and kind of seeing the progression of like what causes them to be the way they are or like is it nature, is it nurture, is it Mm -hmm. both, is it neither? It's definitely a layer of like psychology. Yeah, but I think the difference is it's like the interviewing, like Mm -hmm. people like public figures like Barbara Walters or Larry King, that's not... That's not for like a analysis analysis gain. It's just not. And like, even with like the Bundy tapes, like Mm -hmm. that was like a reporter and he really didn't get any other, like any new information about that. Ted Bundy just loved talking about himself. Mm -hmm. He just loved fucking, I hate him so much. I hate like the obsession with him. I'm sorry, but like, I'm not going to go on my Bundy rant. No, I won't do it, but (laughs) not today. My Um, rant only. I know. (laughs) No, I just hate like people's obsession with him. Like I get like, I'm obviously, here we are true mm-hmm. crime but like no. i know and that's why i said like he started opening up and then he started talking to like you know the it just feels it's the feels right people flames, that like, were there to analyze him that's fine and he's still getting treatment so i bet that all these interviews that he gave to this day are being you know, used in that being used for treatment purposes but then yeah like or just analysis why does yeah. it need to be it doesn't it doesn't need a to late be a night like, show yeah. or barbara walters you're really on barbara walters right now I'm sorry. I'm just disappointed. Can you imagine any big killer now on like Jimmy Kimmel or like 60 minutes? 60 minutes. Yeah. Like any of those? Like that is so upsetting. Let alone. No, it is. Like obviously John Lennon's killer. Yeah. Who people are still not over it. Right. That's crazy to think about. And I also think that you can like get that information and kind of put it out without like giving him that sort of attention. Like I'm the interviewee. I'm the 
the center of attention. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's fine. So he's still in jail. Like I said earlier, his next parole hearing is scheduled for February of 2024. It's going to be his 13th. So let's hope he gets denied a 13th time. He's gonna. I'm Yoko's sorry. probably writing that note right now, sending it's it in so, soon. That's really, really I know it's so sweet, but it's like, let's just oh. hope he stays in jail. Of course he's, I'm sorry. There's just no way. Like he's there's no way. There's jail. no way. And I'm just like, I don't need well, I'm probably going to follow up on this, but like some crazy shit he's about to say again in his parole hearing because oh, he does yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. Like one of the articles that I will have in my sources, but they wrote out all the crazy shit that he like wrote in each of these parole hearings. And I could have gone through them. It just would have been too long. But yeah. like he writes every time that he was like, happy I did it. God told me to. Another Catrinal Rye quote. Like mm-hmm. he is on it and i am scared yeah that's that fine is so terrifying but um understatement of the year understatement of the year so let's end on like a more positive note okay please <laughs> lennon's legacy because yes. through all this enraging stupid immature behavior we lost john lennon who was a legend to say it lightly a very influential musician artist who is a part of the explosion of british rock in america and therefore so many other rock and roll experimental and rock advancements came about because of him um he was inducted into the songwriters hall of fame in 1987 and the rock and roll hall of fame in 1994 so very quickly after the fact you know yeah and i could go on and on about the legacy um but i mean i don't really need to because we still see like beatles influence today in media shirts like their albums are still being sold i see them in like target all the time there are people who still like that's like number it's still one being artist. played yeah. covered like all that stuff it, it doesn't stop the longevity and, like, of their yeah. albums like or their legacy right and i mean all the work that he did with pacifism and like you know the meditation and how prevalent that still is like he had a hand in a little bit of all of it and mm-hmm. we still see it thriving today yeah so you can't ignore the fact that because he had a hand like in it it might not be where it is now Right. Which is really cool to think about because in a way for all you Beatles fans and Lennon fans, like he's still with us. Yeah. There's nothing. That's a nice no way book, to put it. No book, no person, no nothing could ever take that away. Um, so, you know, if you are going to be angsty and if you're going to be a person that wants to protect innocence, um, don't kill someone. Yeah. I Period. Just, yeah. The logic is not. The logic is not there. <laughs> at all. Um, I promise if you say it out loud, you'll hear how stupid it sounds and you won't do it. So. Well, if you're not. Um, don't do it. Killer. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, so that was it. That was, Did I go off enough? That Did was I amazing. go off? I also went off. Sorry. It's fine. But... I like that I invoked. No, you did. I'm really into it. No, that that's was, important. Yeah, of course. Maybe this is what my English teachers wanted. So maybe you won in the end. They won. They you always won. do. I love you. <laughs> Shout out all my an, English teachers. Who doesn't have an English teacher that they were? You know, I had a with. really good line of like three strong English teachers. I had a lot of really good. I think almost all of my English teachers. You brought all the like all really those into. like seminars. You know, as much as we hate them, and I know I hated going in there because I always felt underprepared, but it me always too. got me to argue. And now mm-hmm. I could argue for anything. No, dead ass me too. I probably should have been in a debate class. <gasps> yeah, that would have been fun. I probably would have been great, but it's because I learned. I learned to argue about these fake characters. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I started somewhere. You did. But yeah, so that's what I You did amazing. Did that um, was awesome. Thank I, you. I like when I don't really know anything about what you're telling me because I feel like Did you learn something today? Yeah, I'm learning. Wow. I'd be learning. Learning with Clarice. Clarice is always ta- <laughs> Clarice is always teaching me something. Wow. Well, important that I was taught these things. My sources for this episode 
and for all episodes even the Pastor, previous ones Pastor, yeah future. they're all available in the show notes on our website yeah please um, check out our website Clarice worked really hard on it it's a beautiful fun cute looking website i promise when you open it it will grant you major amounts of happiness yeah the dopamine off the charts unleashed she did a really i'm very proud of her she like crushed it a little designer does like she one thing about clarice i'm just gonna go off about clarice right now because this is like obviously i'm gonna just give the people what they want a rant about the ranter yeah a ranter in the rye (laughs) i was just gonna say really nice things about you and i'm gonna sit back now No, just like one thing about Clarice is that when she's gonna do something, she's gonna do something. I'm gonna so well that like she like she's always gonna do the damn thing. Like there's nothing that Clarice does that it's like half-ass or that's like mediocre. Truly, even if you're not good at something, you'll like do it until you're great at it. And usually, it's very quick when you you're just quick about it. It's just like your brain is insane. I agree with you. No. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. I'm screaming. That was so sweet. No, no I, uh, I mean yeah, it. No, no half-assing here. There's not, there's I'm, only room for a full ass at this table. So yeah, it will be sat. A full and a half because I'm sat. a half-asser. I'm sat. <laughs> Together, we are one and a half-asser. We are one and a half at Clarice. So you're always up. getting more than one. <laughs> Buy one, you get, get one yeah, half off. You, <laughs> I'm going to make that sticker for us and it's going to be a little butt on it. <laughs> Buy one, get one half off the half oh assers. Gosh. No, I'm, I'm a, yeah, you pick up my slack a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate it. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for episode. the support and the love. It's been... We're getting a lot of love too. I know we're just starting out and it's really great to see a passion project explode yeah. into something because we're so happy doing this. I know. And I look forward, that... even though these what we learned are sometimes make us angry and upset kind of have fun doing it I have a great time it's like something I look forward to every week I'm just like if I'm having a hard week I'm like I get to make a podcast this weekend and it it never feels like a lot of work and that's like something that's very unusual for me even something that I like to do it's like kind of like the first thing that I've done in a while at least me Mm -hmm. that like I'm just like kind of doing for because you like it fun and because I like it and I want to like I'm proud to like share it with people very proud and it's nice that we I just like really appreciate all of like the nice messages from my friends and my family and like Clarice's friends like I think mm-hmm. some of your friends have even messaged I me do. which is cute I feel like they're oh my they're messaging friends. you too yes oh that's really perfect sweet. keep that up friends yeah it's really keep nice. it up I appreciate it it makes me feel really happy warm and fuzzy yeah just like I like sharing like these little squishmallows right next to us yeah little fuzzy our babies guys. um our children <laughs> our children <laughs> our children mom and dad um <laughs> I'm dad obviously <laughs> Alrighty. Well, we hope that you stick with us for the next one. Because next week, Alyssa will bring in a story of her very own. And then you get to listen to Alyssa rant. It's going to be like the least popular episode. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Not true. (laughs) You have to be an enforcer. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. (laughs) No, I'm really, I love it. Again, I love you all. I love you all. I love Clarice. I love our lives. And (laughs) this is turning into vows. Should we kiss? (laughs) 
<laughs> Goodbye, we got a kiss. Goodbye. <laughs> you like what you hear? Feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Rate and subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. Tell us what you think on our Twitter or Instagram at Record Crimes Pod. Have a suggestion or something you want to hear on the podcast? Send us an email at recordcrimespod at gmail.com.